holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement? What sacred games shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? This quote was written by uh, the 19th century philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. Throughout his works he expresses a fear that the decline of faith and a reliance on God in the Western world would plunge the world into chaos. Regularly he would ask the question in his works, where is God in all of this? Recent events in Tunisia and Lyon in France and in Kuwait cause us to ask the same question, where is God in all of this? People around the world face financial trouble, family issues, health issues, personal temptations and trials. When times are tough, we ask, where is God in the midst of this? When we read chapter 3 of Daniel, the question is asked by three men from Judah. Where is God in the midst of this? And the result is incredible. It's a story that most of us will probably know in some form. Some of us well. Maybe some of us vaguely from Sunday school. Some might never have heard the story before of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace. But let's turn to Daniel chapter 3 and read the story together. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. His height was 60 cubits and its breadth bread, six, 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the councillors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the councillors the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down in worship shall immediately be cast into a a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. 
So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. The expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments, and thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counsellors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. The appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counsellors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruin. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that as we come to learn from your word, that you'll speak to us through it. We just pray for the lessons that can be learned. We're aware that your word is alive and active. We know that it can touch us in places and challenge us and encourage us in ways that no other book can. We just pray that that will happen this morning and that you'll speak to us through it. Amen. To properly understand the background of what we just read in Daniel chapter 3, it's worth being aware of what happened in chapters 1 and 2 as well. Last week, uh, Dave Glover came and spoke to us from chapter 1. And what he told us about was the story of Daniel and his friends 
been taken captive to Babylon. Babylon itself at the time was a great and powerful empire and kingdom. And they had the practice of taking the young royals and nobles when they defeated an enemy. And that's how Daniel and his friends found themselves in Babylon, in a land that is different from theirs. They're strangers and aliens. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. His dream troubles him and he demands to be told what it means. And yet none of his astrologers or magicians can tell him. We're going to read uh, chapter 2, verse 31 to 35, just so we can have a bit of an understanding of what the dream was. God tells Daniel the interpretation of the dream, who then tells the king this. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of, and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Daniel goes on to explain the meaning of the dream. And the important part for us in chapter 3 is the head of gold that is mentioned there. Daniel says, that's you Nebuchadnezzar. It says that God has given you dominion, power and glory. The golden head is the current kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar represents, Babylon. Babylon had become a great nation and he was the head. However, following the head of gold came four more parts of the body, each weaker than the last, ultimately unable to stand. God was telling Nebuchadnezzar through this dream that he was the beginning of the end of the great empires of the world. Nebuchadnezzar's empire was great and mighty, but would be the first to fall. For God himself would create a kingdom that would never be destroyed. We don't know what Nebuchadnezzar thought of the dream, or if he understood the interpretation that was given through Daniel. What he did understand was that God had given Daniel the ability to reveal this dream, declared that Daniel's was the God of gods and Lord of lords. So it is with that background that we read chapter 3. I'm just going to read verses 1 to 7 again. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the councillors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image. Then the satraps, prefects, governors, councillors, treasurers, justices, magistrates and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They stood before the image that he had set up and the, the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O people, O people's nations and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all of the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, 
harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music. All the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, I'm keen that most of this sermon isn't taken up by describing musical instruments or positions in King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. But I think it's important to go through each bit individually, um, especially verses 1 to 7, which I find fascinating because you may expect from the back of chapter 2 that hearing the interpretation of the dream that King Nebuchadnezzar was given, that he would change his ways, that he'd begin to follow the God of Daniel. However, that's not what happens in chapter 3. In fact, what happens is almost the opposite. We know that in Babylon there were many gods If you came up with a new God, you just added it on to the old ones. But that's not the God of Daniel. He doesn't stand for that. We read in verse 1 that King Nebuchadnezzar made an image. The Bible describes it as being tall and made of or at least covered in gold. It was 90 feet tall. As a point of reference, the angel of the north is 66 feet tall. Thinking back to the dream and the interpretation that Daniel gave the king, his response was true and real. Chapter 2, verse 47, he says, The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. He proclaimed the God of Daniel, the God of the Jews, to be the true God. But he wasn't changed by it. He added that God onto his list of others. The dream may have caused him to be humble, but not for long. We don't know what his reaction was at the time, but when we get to chapter 3, his pride had taken over. He tried to prove Daniel wrong, and by extension, he tried to prove God wrong, that his empire would be the first of many to fall. In his desperation to prove God wrong, he sought to unify and strengthen his empire by forming one common religion an object of worship. Perhaps in his mind he thought that this would bring the people under his rule together and extend his kingdom. He fought against God by building an image, an idol made of gold. In his insecurity about the future of his own empire, he didn't just want to be the head of a statue and one-fifth. He wanted to be all of it. He wanted total worship to himself. And worship is giving reverence, respect and adoration to someone or something. Nebuchadnezzar demanded complete worship from everyone in his empire. His plan was that whenever music was played, every single person in the empire would bow to the image that he'd set up. Regardless of what they were doing at the time, they were to drop it all and worship. And as it was, we read, that's exactly what happened. Whenever the music was played, all the people of the land worshipped as commanded. And it must have been a sight to behold, thousands of people falling to the ground, faces turned towards this 90-foot idol made of gold, giving worship and adoration to a lump of gold. It seems ludicrous to us now, and yet God designed and made mankind to worship. The desire to worship is in all of us because God's put it there. The question that we have to ask ourselves today is, what or who do we worship? Sometimes we're aware of it and sometimes we're not. Sometimes it's very obvious 
might be the girls who stand outside One Direction or Five Seconds of Summer concert screaming. Or maybe the die-hard guys that you see on TV, shirtless in January, shouting at Newcastle United players. That's worship. And yet there's also a lot of worship that, we, that may not be so obvious to us. Our career and title, our car, our possessions, our family, our experiences and relationships. These things are great, but when they draw our time and energy and worship away from God, that's when the problem starts. Humans are innately designed to worship. And Nebuchadnezzar realized this to be true. He exploited this by creating an image of worship dedicated to himself. The Bible tells us that every single person fell on command. I wonder how many people out of the thousands questioned why they were falling at the feet of a statue, a lump of gold. How many of all the people in Babylon felt that they were worshipping a true and living God? In Exodus 20, we read of the first commandment given by God to his people, the Jews. It says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the, thir- to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Coming back to the image in Babylon, the idol that was there, the people worshipping it, as we read in chapter 1, there were Jews in the midst in Babylon. Jews had been brought to Babylon after Judah was destroyed. Jews who probably knew that they shouldn't be bound to this image according to God's law. And we read that only three refused. Verses 8 to 12 tell us, Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And so these three stood out, we read. Three young, possibly teenagers, royals or nobles, intelligent, promoted among the empire and among Nebuchadnezzar's army. They probably didn't seek it to be known that they refused to bow down, but it became known that these three were not conforming. The Chaldeans here have a role to play. The Chaldeans were the astrologers and magicians and enchanters of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar's courts. It seems like they were looking to catch out the Jews, waiting for an opportunity. It reminds me of when I was younger, I used to tell my sister for not closing her eyes during grace at the dinner table. Not really seeing the irony in that. 
Matthew 7, 3 comes to mind. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? This irony is repeated by the Chaldeans calling out the Jews for failure to bow before the king's statue. But they were aggrieved at being shown up by Daniel and his friends in chapter 2. For in chapter 2, they were the ones who failed to interpret the dream. But Daniel and his friends did. They were seeking to catch them out. They were waiting for them to slip up and they had found an opportunity. They ran to the king to inform him, knowing the punishment that awaited. Reading this story, it seems that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego lived for God, and that made them a target. They stood up for what they believed in. They refused to bow to Nebuchadnezzar's idol, and that's what got them hauled up in front of the king. Today, Christians face being called out as well for not conforming to this world. Nothing that these three Jews did changed, but the culture and society changed around them. Our culture and society is changing around us too. Christians in the public eye have been dragged up before the media for standing up for what they believe in, taking the Asher's Bakery case or the Bull's Bed and Breakfast cases as examples. And young Christians in school face being targeted for their faith, for being different, being told by teachers that their beliefs are not real. God's people have always stood out. A godly life will bring opposition. The same was true 2,500 years ago for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and it's true for us today. This is what Peter writes in his first epistle. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is the life that we are called to, to be an example for God and for Christ in this world, to show the world that we are different. We're also called to live a life which makes people question why we are the way that we are, so that Christ can be seen in our actions, in the way that we live, so that the world can see that Christ is at work in our lives. It's a daunting thing, a daunting challenge to stand up for what you believe in. But this story here gives us amazing assurance that God is faithful to those who are faithful to him. And we will face opposition, but we have a God who will be right by our side throughout. When we ask the question that Nietzsche asked, Where is God in the midst of this? We know that we have a God who is right by our side. And that's what Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego discovered. Verses 13 to 18 say this. Then Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us 
from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand O king but if not be it known to you O king that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up this is an amazing part of the story Nebuchadnezzar king of one of the most powerful empires of the world that the world has ever seen in fact being faced with three men possibly teenagers who refuse to obey his command what does he do? he gives them another chance he says if you're ready when you hear the music to fall down and worship the image I have made well and good can you imagine the temptation that these three face as they stand before this powerful king miles from home and in the face of death to just bow down to the image do you think the things that went through their minds were what I imagine would go through mine well who would know or it's just this once who's going to find out I'll pray twice as hard or read my bible twice as much to make up for it wouldn't it be so easy for them to bow down and avoid all the drama and fire But these three are unwavering in their faith and dedication to God. They hold firm in the face of great trial and temptation. I don't know about you, but I want to develop that kind of faith. A kind of faith in God that led to Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego standing before one of the most powerful rulers in history and saying, we don't need to answer you. To announce to that same king that their God has the power to deliver them from the flames. And then say, even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to your false gods or golden image. Isn't this part of the story just so inspiring? Isn't this the kind of faith that we want to develop? Peter tells us in Second Peter chapter 3, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. So how do we do this on a day-to-day basis? To grow in Christ, to develop a faith in God that stands in the face of trials and temptation. We need to spend time in Bible study, in prayer, in worship, and in service to Him. When we read the Bible, we read God's Word to mankind. The story of God reconciling Himself to mankind. We learn more about Him and how to live for Him. When we spend time in prayer, We converse with a living God who knows our needs. We acknowledge our dependence on him for everything. When we worship him, we declare that he is the one true and living God, that he is creator and ruler over all. We glorify him for all that he has done and who he is. And when we serve him, we acknowledge that he is at work in our world, that he has a mission and a calling for each one of us, that he chooses to use us to spread the gospel to the end of the earth. There are lots of ways to serve in this church, so get involved, whether it's FX, coffee morning, Sunday school, helping people with shopping, visiting people who can't get out, offering to pray for someone. Find a way to serve God. Find a way to grow in your faith. Do we care enough about growing in Christ and our faith to spend time in Bible study and prayer and worship and in service to God. I believe that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego cared enough to do all these things so that when it came to deciding between worshipping a false god 
or facing the flames of the furnace, they were able to say, our God will deliver us, but even if he does not, we will not bow down. Their faith was unshakable. That's the kind of faith that I want to develop. Faith to face, to face a choice that seems impossible. And we do have choices to make like this all of the time. We might not face a fiery furnace. It might not be life and death sometimes. But we do still face difficult choices and ones which could really affect our relationship with God. Christians in the public eye face standing up in front of a world which has rejected God and speaking out. Choosing at school not to do the things that our friends are doing because we know it's wrong. Choosing at work not to do something tomorrow when our boss asks. Choosing to forgive the person who has wronged you. Choosing not to give in to a temptation that we know could pull us in the opposite direction from God. Do we have the guts to stand up for our God like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego did? As Christians, we can face these trials and temptations in our life knowing that God is with us. Isaiah 43 says this, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego found this to be true. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Verses 19 and 27 of chapter 3 say this. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. The expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. He ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, saw that the fire had had no power over any of the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Verse 24 again says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose up in haste. He declared to his counsellors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. An amazing end to the story. God had delivered the Jews just as, he, as they had proclaimed that he would. The fourth, the fourth person in the fire we don't know a lot about, but we know that God sent him. The question of Nietzsche, where is God in the midst of this? For them it was answered. He was standing right by their side, by their side in the furnace. And this is the God that we believe in. 
He is alive and he is at work. I refuse to believe that Nietzsche's claim that God is dead is true. He is alive and he is at work. And he keeps his promises. He rewarded those three who put their faith and trust in him, who gave their life to him and who faced death and refused to give up on him. Verses 28 to 30 say, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore I make, I make a decree, any people, nation or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, their houses laid in ruin, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar had asked the question back in verse 15. In his fury, he said, Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Well, he had his answer now. It's the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the God of the Jews, the Lord of Lords, the God who sent his Son, Jesus Christ, into our world to save the world from sin. The God who is alive and at work in our world today and the God who saves. When he asked who is the God who will deliver you, read in Isaiah 44. This is what the Lord says, Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble, do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any gods besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. There is no one like our God. He's all-consuming, all-encompassing. He is also ferociously jealous. There's no room for false idols or images. There's no room to worship the things of this world. So let us, like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, cast aside all of these things. The material things that we worship, the positions and titles, the temptations that get between us and God and seek to live totally for him. Note as well that at the very end of our story, after seeing firsthand the power and might of God at work. Nebuchadnezzar's statement was not, Blessed be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for surviving the flames. But he said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar didn't proclaim the power to be theirs, but God's. So let us seek to have a faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that when people hear about our lives and our actions, they don't say, That person is great but they instead say, God is great. We proclaim Christ to the world, not for our glory, but for his. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word and all that we can learn from it. We just pray that we are able to cast aside all the material things, the temptations and trials, the positions and titles that this world offers, that we put them aside and just seek you, that we seek to proclaim you in the way that we live and our faith will grow as we seek to live for you. Amen.